1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 58. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars have another kind. Each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are, bro are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture from Isaiah and Hosea will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, sorry, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen. Uh, everyone hear me okay? 
I have my phone here for time, ostensibly, but the reality is I'm probably just going to talk till I'm done. <laughs> so I hope I don't run over. <clears throat> um, good morning. Um, if, so if you... Uh, if you'd like to read a different version of that passage later on, um, I really recommend the message. I, I wanted to put that up today too, but I couldn't have both, so um, I had the NLT, but the message is great if you want to get the flavour of what Paul's really trying to say. So we're obviously talking again today about the resurrection, and Rachel went through that with us a bit last week, talked about you know the fact that Jesus was physically resurrected and why that's important and that one day we are also going to be physically resurrected. So when I started preparing, um, I was chatting with Rachel and Cameron about what verses they were doing and what I had yet to read mine and uh, Cameron told me that my verses were about zombies. Thanks, Cam. But then I read them and I thought, you know, he's actually not wrong about that. So I'll get to that. So I wanted to entitle this sermon, uh, we can have the next slide, I wanted to entitle it Return of the Living Dead, um, but I thought maybe that wouldn't be quite so appropriate, so I've decided to call it Buried in Brokenness, Raised in Glory. So um, Rachel's already mentioned that um, most of the ancient pagans didn't sort of um, believe in physical resurrection. Yes, they believed there'd be an afterlife of some sort, but not physical. Um, and the Sadducees were obviously a sect of the Jews who didn't believe that either. So it was pretty common. And I think it's pretty common in our culture today that um, many people wouldn't, wouldn't really think, you know, they'll believe there's an afterlife and they hope that there's something after death so that they can be with those they love again. But they've never really thought about the idea that it might be a physical thing. It's not the most important thing that comes to mind. Um, in verse 35, Paul reflects on the sorts of questions that he knows the Corinthians are thinking, even if no one said it out loud to him. He's obviously not with the Corinthians at the time. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. So, you know, the saying goes, there's no stupid questions. But clearly Paul thinks this is a stupid question. Why is he being so blunt about it? Well, I think firstly because he actually already knew that the Corinthians had this prevailing worldview around them, that there was no physical resurrection. Um, and they just kept on living in that belief even after they became believers. So he wants to, um, he wants to you know, make it clear to them that what they think from based on their worldview and culture is not correct. Um, so when the Corinthians heard that when Jesus came back, you know, he's, he's going to resurrect people, the Corinthians would actually think that Paul is talking about zombies, you know, reanimating and raising corpses. So Paul's keen to jump in and say, no, that's not the case, guys. It's not what we're talking about at all. I think the second reason why Paul might have been a bit harsh about this stupid question is because he knew that the Corinthians were actually being a bit egotistical, having a bit of a scoff um, about the fact that we would even need physical bodies. Um, as we've heard over the course of talking about this book, the Corinthians were really, um, are really keen on this whole spiritual idea. Now we've reached the pinnacle of what it is to be, you know, in the spirit. And so what we do with our bodies and our bodies, they're just not so important to us. But Paul's saying, look, you're leaving God and his power completely out of the equation. You need to understand that God is going to do something amazing with raising us to have new bodies. He is going to do it and he has the ability, so don't leave him out of the equation. Um, I think um, it's really important 
for us to recognise that we are going to have physical bodies. Um, obviously, Rachel talked about the fact that if Christ has been physically resurrected, that's a sign then to us to show us that we also will be. But why is important? I mean, who cares if we have a physical body after death? Um, this was something I actually struggled with when I first started reading this passage. Um, why is it important that Christ have an actual physical body and that we do? I mean, God the Father is spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is a spirit. Um, why can't we just be spirits too after death? What's the big deal? Um, the Corinthians obviously thought that that was fine. Um, lots of people in our culture probably think that's a fine way to be after death. And, you know, the angels are spirits. So why is um, being a purely spiritual being, you know, why isn't that okay? So please hold on to that thought. We're going to get to that in a minute. First of all, we're going to have a little look at what our resurrected bodies might actually be like. So if we're Christians, we've all been reborn spiritually. So we know we're not dead in our spirits, we're alive. Um, but we're still subject to death. You know, every one of us sitting here at the moment is, is getting closer to death every second. So we need another kind of resurrection. So Paul starts out with using farming and agricultural analogies. That was, you know, quite good for the Jewish people of the day and the Corinthians of the day. So he starts talking about seeds. Most humans, even little kids at school, understand a little bit about seeds and how that works. So when you plant a seed in the ground, the seed that goes into the ground clearly isn't the same as the plant that comes up. They don't look anything alike. So in the same way, our dead bodies that go into the ground or our ashes that are scattered, they aren't going to be the same as the body that's resurrected. But there is a continuity. So there's still a connection between the seed and the plant. They aren't two different living beings. They're the one being that has been transformed even through the process of death, through the power of God. And the same can be said of our new resurrection bodies. Um, so you may not be massively into gardening and plants, but there's some other examples of this which I think are excellent to help us start thinking about it. My kids have been bringing silkworms home from school. Their names are Fred and George and Coco Marshmallow Puff, something or other. Um, and we fed them mulberry leaves and they just eat and they eat and they make a little cocoon and they haven't come out yet, but when they do, they're a resurrected moth body that is not at all like the weird worm that they were before, but it is somehow the same being, which is amazing. Um, now, I have some more pictures. Does anyone know, I, I didn't bring my Maltesers with me today, but I really wanted to give a prize to anyone who knows what these weird and disgusting creatures are. Anyone want to hazard a guess? No? They're pretty gross. Yes, Andrew. Oh, okay. You can have the Maltesers. <laughs> um, I, uh, Poppy and Hannah have these in their class at the moment, these larvae. Well, they're even the pupae before, but... They turn into, the next slide, the ladybug, uh, which I think is just astounding. When I saw these in the class, I was like, they are so gross. If I saw that climbing up my chair, I would totally squish it. Um, 
but everybody loves ladybugs. They are just gorgeous. Um, a website I read about the life cycle of ladybugs says, the ladybug's body undergoes a remarkable transformation directed by special cells called histoblasts. They control a biochemical process through which the larval body is broken down and reformed into the adult. So that's pretty astounding. So Paul uses the example of a seed, and I like the example of the ladybug or the silkworm. But the whole point, of course, is to illustrate to us that God's power is going to create something new, new bodies, something amazing, something we can just barely imagine. It's as different as the little larvae, the um, horrible, weird-looking ladybug larvae, and the ladybug itself. Um, you know, we can, we can be confident that God's going to do this. And one of the reasons we can be confident is we can already see it all around us in the amazing things that God has already made. So um, Paul talks about the animals and the plants and the fish and the sun and the moon and the stars. So I don't think any of us would argue that when we look around our world, as fallen as it is, it's incredible. Um, when I have been stepping out on my driveway the last week, um, as soon as I open the gate, right there is the moon. It's been like a crescent moon and I can see the top of the moon that's not there yet. And, you know, Venus has been over the top, blazing. It's just incredible. You think, wow, if this is the case with the fallen sinful world, that it's that beautiful, how much more is God's power going to create something beautiful when we're resurrected? So we can see. We can see he's already done it. He can do it again and he will. But we don't really know what our new bodies are going to be like. We can't envisage that. Um, we can't know until that trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back what it's really going to be like. But I think we have some clues to look at. Um, people might often ask, well, will I still be me? Am I going to recognise my friends? Are they, you know, is my family going to know who I am? And I think that we can look at something that Rachel mentioned last week, which is Jesus' resurrection body, when he was resurrected. And he appeared to 500 of his disciples and friends. So he clearly looked like himself. They recognised him. Um, he could touch people and they could touch him. He cooked food. He apparently uh, went down and made a campfire on the beach, which is why I had the little campfire on the slides. He, uh, he made fish for his friends. I mean, I just think that's the most astounding story. He's resurrected from the dead and one of the first things he does is go down to the beach, make a campfire, cook some fish and some bread for his friends who'd been fishing all night. I mean, what a great thing to do with your resurrected body. But he could also appear and reappear at will. Um, and his fatal wounds from the cross and that, you know, spear going into his side, um, they had apparently managed to heal. You know, there were some scars, but they healed. So he clearly didn't have a body that was exactly the same body he had before. You know, this wasn't zombie Jesus with a reanimated corpse. And yet his old body wasn't in the tomb anymore. The angels at the tomb said, you know, why are you looking for the dead? You know, Looking, sorry, why are you looking for um, Jesus here? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's, who's not here? He's alive. So it clearly was the same body he had before, but it was different. So I think this is why Paul says, you know, he wants to tell us a wonderful secret or the, the NIV says it's a mystery because even Paul can't explain it. I mean, how can we properly understand something that doesn't exist right now? We can't. 
But we do know, 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's clear that we will have a resurrected body, you know, body 2.0. Just like Jesus was resurrected, so will we be. But let's get back to the question we asked before. Why is a physical resurrected body even necessary or important? Um, as I said, God the Father and God the Spirit don't have bodies. Angels don't have bodies. Uh, Rachel was talking about metaphysical mangoes last week. Would they be so bad? Just because something is different to what you had before doesn't mean that it's bad. So I'm going to suggest three reasons why God is going to resurrect us with actual physical amazing new bodies, not just disembodied spirits, and why it actually matters. So the first one is that in the beginning, God created us to be human. That means that we have a body and we have a spirit combined. They're together. Genesis um, 1 and Genesis 2 say, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You can't be male or female if you don't have a body. And you can't be made in the image of God without a spirit. And Genesis 2 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So being a spirit without a body means we aren't human. We're something else, like the angels, but we aren't human. And having a body without a spirit means we aren't human. We're something else, like an animal, but we aren't really what it means to be human. So this week I asked a few different people why the idea of having a physically resurrected body was important to them. And my sister was one of the people I asked. And she said that one of the things that means the most to her in her life as a human is art. So she expresses herself as a human being through art. She blesses people through her art. She uses art in her work. She does counselling with people. So the art's done with her hands, and hands are part of the body. But art is also something that comes from our spirit. And if we know Jesus, it can also come from the spirit of God or be inspired by the spirit of God, the body and the spirit coming together. So what about you guys? What do you do, it'll be different for everyone, with your body that means a lot to you and makes you part of who you are? So how does your spirit get involved with that as well with that? Um, my friend Meredith, who sometimes comes along here, she loves running. Now, I don't love running, but I do understand the joy and the challenge of running. To, you know, push yourself to farther speed, faster speeds or, you know, really enjoy the energy that it gives you when you run or maybe just, you know, enjoying nature as you run through it. But you really do need a body for running. You know, spiritual running just wouldn't cut it for most people. Um, have you hugged someone today or in the last week? I, you know, I don't. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna practice now, Annalise. I'm just gonna give you a spiritual hug, okay? Did did you feel it? Annalise isn't sure. So I think this is this is the point, isn't it? You need a body to hug someone. You know, yes, God makes his presence and his love known to us through spiritual means. He can do that. But as humans, we are created to show love and be creative and be a blessing and serve each other. Um, and to enjoy God's creation with our bodies. 
And, you know, we see and we know during times of physical disconnection with people, when we're ill or locked down or, you know, there's little babies in orphanages who are fed and clothed and have, you know, a warm place to sleep, but nobody has the time to hold them and to touch them and hug them. And those little children, they grow up with, you know, dysfunctionalness in their minds and their emotions because... There wasn't that physical touch. So we know that physical touch is important. Um, so, you know, our bodies are a gift to us. From the very beginning, that's what God intended, that God wants us to have bodies, not just in this part of our life, but in the rest, you know, the main course to come. He wants us to have bodies. We aren't fully human without them. So Jesus was born into our world fully as God, but also fully human with a body and he's still both those things even after he's been resurrected so how much more will God do that for us so here's the second reason why it's essential we have actual bodies when Jesus comes back and changes us we can't inherit the kingdom of God with our old bodies we need new ones so 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty says what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. And um, 15, 45 to 49 talks about um, Adam becoming a living person. Um, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. And it goes on to talk about the earthly man and the heavenly man and compare those. And just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So the first thing to note about this is when Paul talks about the natural body and the spiritual body, he isn't saying that our old body, the one we have now is physical, and our new one is going to be purely spiritual. That's not what he's saying here. So the new resurrected body isn't going to be made of spirit. But um, our favourite author during this series, Gordon Fee, I'm sure most of us preaching have read a bit of what he's said about this, he, he says that our life will be in a body now dominated completely by God's spirit for the first time, no longer influenced by sin and decay and death. So it's like it was powered by the flesh. Now we're powered by the flesh, which is sinful. And then it will be powered by the spirit, righteousness. Um, our house got connected to solar this week. Pretty cool. Michael keeps rushing up to me and saying, did you know that right now we are using no power? <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Um, so it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a bit like that. You know, it's as if... Um, you used to be running on fossil fuels and then you got, you know, a solar system and now it's powered with the radiance of the sun. The house is still the same house, but it's just got a completely different power source. So we know a little bit of what that's like when we become Christians. We give our heart to God, we give our life to God and his spirit lives in us. And we still have that wrestling between the flesh and the spirit though. And one day that fight will be over forever. Um, the grid power will be cut off completely and be running on the sun. So that's the kind of body we need to be part of the new heaven and the new earth. Revelations 21 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain 
all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. So if I took this body that I have now and I limped physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I limped into the presence of God on the new earth with my, you know, type 2 diabetes and my celiac disease and my anxiety and my impatience and anger and lust and pride and I said, hooray, everything's being made new. It, it would just be ridiculous, you know. The, nobody's going to do that. We, we can't go into the new earth like that. There's no way that this body and the flesh that runs it can enter that kingdom. You know, I'm, I'm decaying. I'm dying. My body is under the law and that means that sin and death still controls me to some extent. So I clearly need a new body. So I just want to recap the first two reasons we need a new resurrected physical body, not just a spiritual existence, are A, because God made us human, not angelic or animal or something else, and because we can't inherit the full, new, amazing kingdom of God with old bodies that are powered by the flesh. They're decaying and they're dying and they're still under the power of death and we need a new power source. Now for the third reason, which I think is possibly the most exciting. God is going to crush death once and for all and make all things new, all things. Um, right before my auntie died, Mike and I were able to go in and see her in the palliative care unit, but she couldn't really hear us. She was on a lot of morphine. She was in a lot of pain. She had cancer and she wasn't really with us anymore in one sense. <clears throat> So when someone like that passes away, our sentiments are often twofold. We say, you know, if they knew Jesus, we might say, well, it's great, they're with Jesus now. We'll probably also say, at least they're not in pain anymore. And that's completely natural. You know, they're finally free of this body which has caused them so much, be, you know, anguish and pain. But let's be clear here. If, if we're honest, we're not satisfied with at least they're not in pain anymore. You know, they're dead. We can't see them anymore. We can't be with them. Um, at least they're not in pain anymore is pretty poor comfort, really. And to our all-powerful creator, who is a good, good heavenly father, that situation's not good enough. It's not good at all. So, you know, the death of our bodies because of disease and decay, that's a sign of sin and the world has fallen. That's not what God wants. Even if we went on living in a merely spiritual existence, it means God's original design for us as humans, a body and a spirit together, that would have been thwarted, you see. Sin and death would have won over God's plan for us. So for God to prove that sin is done away with forever and that he is king over all, he had to actually physically raise Jesus in a new body, one that could never be destroyed by sin and death again. So the bodily resurrection is proof that God has forever destroyed sin and death. For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But death, your time is coming. You know, death, you're going down because God the Father is coming for you. God is not going to accommodate death like we accommodate death now. He's not going to put up with at least they're not in pain anymore. He is going to defeat death. 
Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. God's never going to let sin and death have the last word. God will restore, he will restore all that has been broken in the fall of creation. He made us to have perfect bodies and spirits and to live. And this is part of the gospel that Cam was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus has died to raise us spiritually. Jesus will return to raise us up physically and we will then be made fully ready to be part of his new kingdom. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 55 says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So I'd like to finish today by asking you all to not lose heart. We're one day going to be resurrected. Just as Jesus has been resurrected, that means that we'll still be us. I'm going to be me. You're going to be you. We're just going to be better. Therefore, this is from Corinthians, stepping back a bit in second, in, um, no, stepping forward a bit into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yeah, we are. We can all attest to that. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that's what we can do now. Because of the truth of the resurrection to come, we fix our eyes on what is unseen and what is eternal. And we can focus on working right now with these, you know, broken bodies and these renewed spirits together. We can focus on working right now on whatever we can that will last and can continue on to heaven and the new earth. Paul says in chapter 15 again, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I'd like to finish with a quote from Tom Wright, which I think is really relevant for me and probably for most of us. It says, If there is continuity between between who and what we are in the present and who and what we will be in the future, we cannot discount the present life, the present body and the present world as irrelevant. On the contrary, it is a matter of the greatest encouragement to Christian workers, most of whom are away from the public eye, unsung heroes and heroines getting on faithfully and quietly with their God-given tasks, that what they do in the Lord during the present time will last, will matter, will stand for all time. How God will take our prayer, our art, our love, our writing, our political action, our music, our honesty, our daily work, our pastoral care, our teaching, our whole selves, how God will take this and weave its varied strands into the glorious tapestry of this new creation, we can at present have no idea. That he will do so is part of the truth of the resurrection and perhaps one of the most comforting parts of all. So 
I'd like to pray this morning for anyone who needs it. Um, Maybe you're in pain this morning or maybe you're suffering injustice or discrimination because of your body, something about it. Maybe you just don't like your body. Maybe you feel like you hate your body or it just doesn't do what you want it to do. Maybe you feel like you have the wrong body. So I'd like to pray for you and all of us this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, for those who don't know you yet, I just pray right now that anyone who's here or is listening online and doesn't have that spiritual rebirth, Jesus, I pray you'd come to their hearts right now. Give them a new heart. Give them a new mind. Raise them up spiritually, Lord, so that they can be free from the sin that controls and entangles them, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we are waiting for you to come back. Sometimes it's really hard. We're in pain and we're suffering and our bodies don't always work like we want them to. It's very painful and it's frustrating. And sometimes we don't know how to get up in the morning and do what we know we should be doing. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and uplift those people here today who are feeling that way. Lord, we do ask for your healing. We know that you heal. We ask for that today. And, Lord, we ask that you would lead them and all of us beside still waters and in green pastures, even while we're in pain and suffering. Lord, I pray that anyone here who is suffering in their bodies today would have new hope and new strength and new purpose. God, you have given us work to do. You've given us bodies so we can bless and serve and love and care for others. And every single one of us has a part to play until you come back. Lord, we ask for your help to do that work because we really, really need it, Lord. We really do. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray these things. Amen.